This is Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. I'm your host, AJ Fraser, and in this series, we take a jump into the deep end in an effort to explore what it takes to create a meaningful and truly transformative educational experience without stepping foot in the classroom. Cape Breton University's student population is composed of a pretty large majority of international students. These students come to Cape Breton from North and South India, all over China and Southeast Asia. We have students studying with us from Africa, many countries across Europe and the Middle East. And by and large, universities across Canada have experienced this same shift in demographics, albeit probably not at the same degree we've seen here in our own school. These student cohorts add so much richness and inherent good to not only our campus community, but to the businesses, nonprofits, cultural groups, and the hearts and minds of the communities our higher educational institutions serve. Playing the role of second home to so many students from abroad is a relatively recent occurrence for us here at CBU. We've always had a solid and steady group of international students, but we have absolutely seen a shift in what we offer and how we offer it in recent years. But what we do know very intimately is how Cape Breton has played second home to immigrants from all corners of the globe for centuries. The entire island, unceded territory of the Mi'kmaq people, has become a safe haven for disenfranchised communities of immigrants, those that were persecuted, starved, or without prospect in the lands they called home. And we can count the Gales of Scotland, the Acadians, Polish, Ukrainian, Irish, Italian, Caribbean, Syrian, Lebanese, all as founding peoples of the fishing, farming, and industrial communities we now call Cape Breton Island. It is so crucial that we then take a very serious look at and approach to how we create space for multicultural diversity in our online course offerings. If Cape Breton University and other post-secondary institutions across Canada move to a fully online experience this coming fall, we can't simply recreate what we did in the classroom on a Zoom or Teams meeting and call it a day. Just like our on-campus courses, our online classes also require the same amount of care and critical approach for us to attract the best and brightest to learn from and with us. And it is entirely clear that not every student experience is or will be the same. In today's episode, I spoke with Scott Thomas, human rights officer at Cape Breton University and a champion and proponent of what is fair and good in our community. Scott has a long history at CBU, representing his peers on the student union executive when we were just young pups, carrying the torch as the president of the Alumni Association in recent years, and Scott has been a friend of mine for a long time. He's been a beacon for what is right and how to question your own practice and biases long before it was cool. I feel so lucky to work with him and to have gotten the opportunity to sit down and talk about multicultural diversity, tolerance, and inclusion in online learning environments. And in this episode, I took more of a freeform approach, and the episode stretches a little longer uh, because I think the subject and speaker warrant it. So I hope you enjoy our conversation. So my name is Scott Thomas, a proud CBU alumni. Um, in terms of my experience in this role, so my role is human rights and diversity officer for the university. 
Um, two years, I've been at Cape Breton University full time. Uh, prior to that, I was on an on contract basis. But uh, previous to that, my involvement in diversity, multicultural learning has been since I was a student at Cape Breton University. Uh, my experience, you know, Cape Breton University has dramatically changed uh, the diversity of our student body. And also the diversity of our our staff population has all changed. And, and really, some people see it as a matter of seconds. But, you know, since 2001, Cape Breton University has been on this journey that many institutions have been on of diversifying the student body. And with that, a lot of people really focus on the challenges. But there's a lot of celebration when it comes to diversity. It enhances the learning experiences for all involved, both students, staff, and faculty. It has an advantage to the community in which the university is part of. It should shape people's minds to think more globally and more diverse. But it's those challenges that, you know, over the last two years of growth um, have really put people in a different perspective of how they approach teaching. Um, and, you know, uh, instructor who has been instructing for 40 years and suddenly the the faces and the and the accents and and whatnot has just suddenly changed it can be a real challenge um, to those individuals so I've seen I've seen a lot of ask for help um, how they approach a very diverse classroom you know, some people have been using funny jokes that everybody laughed at for, you know, 20 years and suddenly no one, it's just cricket. So trying to explain, well, your joke is still funny, but it's not relevant to, to the classroom. So, you know, I, I think that uh, diversity in this particular time of, of isolation and, and really looking at how we approach learning you know, really has a, has a strong sense of the need for us to engage in this discussion more. So Scott, when we talk about understanding multi multicultural diversity in online learning spaces, specifically in relation to this post-secondary context, what are we talking about? Is it still relevant to discuss multicultural diversity now that we're kind of moving to video conferencing, to uh, asynchronous learning through learning management systems versus the way that we taught in the classroom at the university where we had, had large cohorts of uh, international students uh, actually coming to Cape Breton and staying in the school. Yeah, it's, it's so much more relevant right now for us to have open and honest uh, dialogue around multicultural diversity and learning. You know, if you teach in a face-to-face -face classroom, you get that benefit of seeing with your own eyes and ears the the and process the differences. You know, that is, you see the nuance of skin color. Uh, you can hear the accents, uh, the various different languages that stu students speak. And when you teach online, however, a lot of those stimuli can be removed. And your students tend to be both faceless and voiceless in, in that virtual setting. But that can change. And it is possible to celebrate differences even in an online classroom. And, and before we move into you know, those steps that we can take, um, I think it's important to mention the 
detail of what diversity means. You know, diversity is more than someone's ethnic background. Uh, it, it includes life experiences, disability, religion, or lack thereof, um, sexual orientation, language, and many more aspects. So I think we have to be clear of what it means when we talk about diversity. It's more than what we see and, and what we hear. And I think we all need to first recognize who we are as individuals. I hope that during this time of social isolation or more should i say physical isolation that we have more time to think about ourselves and i think as individuals design courses or even design programs i think we have to sometimes step back and really say what makes us think what makes us act in a way in which we do you know what are our bias both um unconscious uh, what do we what which ones do we hold? I think it's important for us to to recognize during this important time as we move online is who we are as individuals. You know, if I was to ask you, what is your culture? You know, what makes you who you are? What makes you think the way you think? What has created those bias or those stereotypes that you have? I think it's important that we put them on the table and that we don't be afraid um, to talk about those. You know, as somebody who's a practitioner of human rights, as, as an advocate of human rights, I have bias. I have bias because of my life experiences. And I think it's important that if we had some challenging times in the classroom, it's all right to say that we had those. And that maybe we're a bit fearful that going online in that virtual world, they're just going to get worse. That, you know, if we had a, 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 an experience that was not pleasant, that it's all right if that's still going to resonate into our thoughts and feelings as we prepare to go online. And when we look at online learning and multicultural diversity, regardless of the type or size of our institution, strategically designing and developing online content with certain multicultural considerations can actually help ensure our online courses can be most appropriate and effective. Do we need to be cognizant of the fact that instructors might see themselves, their own, uh, their own demographics, let's say, their, their gender, orientation, um, skin color, their cultural perspective and viewpoint in those students because they're not being um, confronted with the, the student's reality uh, in front of them in, in, in person, that it's almost like uh, this, this, this black mirror they're seeing names in a in a enrollment list, but they're not actually seeing the students themselves. So it's sometimes easy to project their own experience or viewpoint or those sorts of things on these kind of disembodied uh, students. And how could a uh, instructor go about avoiding that scenario? Oh, for for sure. And and I and to, what a great point. And I think, you know, it leads on to discussion later on that I'd like to have about the importance of still having that unique approach when it comes to introducing ourselves in a, in a virtual world. And I think it's very important in, in this environment to give people an opportunity to really talk about who they are and and also include kind of like a story, not so much, you know, what you, why you taking this course, right? Um, which seems, I, I remember lots of professors asking me, why are you sitting here? Why are you, why are you in, why are you a BA student in political science? 
communication, but really asking questions about uh, experience, you know, uh, in the, in your own country. And it doesn't have to be an international student. You can make it irrelevant to, you know, is anybody trying a new recipe? Is anyone reading a new book? What's your favorite author? You know, even those types of things branch us out further when it comes to cultural understanding. You know, what was the favorite thing? What would, name one favorite thing that you did over the past couple of weeks that, you know, brought you joy? You know, it's it's not funneling in a different in one direction for one culture, but it's expanding to see the differences that each person has. Um, so if you're able to do an introduction beyond tell me your name, why you're studying this and and whatnot, but actually tell a little story. And I think the important thing to do is always do what you are asking of the students. So if you're asking the students to tell a little story or something that made them happy, I think it's important to recognize that you are part of the community. You are part of the diverse community. And I and it goes back to that point in question about us checking in on our own culture, who we are. You know, some people may say, I come from a fishing village in, in Port Morion. Well, wait, what's your culture? Well, my culture's a lot. And, and my culture may look very different based on my experience. And the joy of that culture may look different based on who I am as an individual and recognize the, the, the importance of that. So I think it's very much important for the instructor to really check themselves with their own bias and unbiased in their own culture before they start um, engaging in the discussion with the students. And one of the, th that element of having a personal connection is so powerful and we can have a personal connection over this virtual world of online learning. We can still build connections with people. We don't have to be in the physical setting to feel a feeling. We can develop that through the ask. And let's not be afraid to ask questions. Let's not be afraid when we don't know something that we can ask somebody something. Understand the content of the question. Maybe it's something that happens off, out of the larger setting. But one of the most powerful things that I have learned in advocacy or understanding cultural competency is the more we engage from a first person perspective, the greater our knowledge will will build. So having the capacity to to actually just come out and ask someone a question, it will break down the stereotypes and misconceptions that we had. But that will also build a connection with that person. And, and I hear this with friends of mine who have disabilities to friends of mine who come from different cultures and different religions, that they actually really pride themselves when someone asks them real question and, and wanting the answer based on that power of knowledge, right? And, you know, communication and interaction are, you know, they're so key, right? When it, when it comes to this topic of multicultural diversity. Are you a CBU researcher looking to apply for a Shirk Partnership Engage grant? Well, we have an info session just for you. On Thursday, June 4th, 2020 at 10.30 a.m. via Microsoft Teams, we're hosting an info session and Q&A period. Head to the Office of Research and Graduate Studies, my CBU internet page for more details and to apply. 
And now back to our episode. So in a, in a face-to-face class, uh, we use nonverbal cues and, um, you know, somebody's posture smiles, the way somebody, you know, gives you attention with their eyes or, or doesn't, um, to better understand the meaning and emotion behind another person's question or statement in an online environment becomes a lot more difficult. Um, sometimes if you're doing online lectures, you've got the, uh, the webcam off, all that sort of stuff. So how do we work with our technology to ensure that we communicate effectively, especially if there are cultural barriers? Yeah. And, and I, that's a great point to, uh, bring in when it comes to communication. And one of the things I, you know, thought about, because I see the struggle when it is face to face is still that struggle with the written word. And, you know, one of the most prominent differences between online and traditional courses lies in how students and faculty interact in a classroom. Not only does the online classroom remove that physical aspect, which you talked about, it regularly shifts the bulk of the communication to written exchanges unknowingly, you know, whether that be through, you know, various um, embedded course tools to support, you know, scoring or, you know, online course platforms such as Moodle, you know, the learning community can engage outside of that classroom via blogs, social media, and other tools to support instruction and engage students. Um, Again, those environments are normally driven by text and with little emphasis on live or verbal exchange. So emphasis on the written word, whether in communication forms or via other platforms, creates potential issues related to interpretation of content, particularly for those students whose first language is not English. So a student does not necessarily have to have an English language learn, let's rephrase this, a student does not necessarily have to be an English language learner for their culture to influence their interpretation or understanding of the meaning of written text, right? Um, So culture can impact the dynamics of the exchange as well. You think about cultural norms, uh, which can be defined as common beliefs, expectations, practices of a society, and that may impact how and when students respond to questions including their perceived roles in a form such as an online setting. Um, students from, you know, Canada, the US, and, and in many cases in parts of Europe, the UK and, and whatnot, for example, are more apt to view the instructor as a facilitator. They're guiding the discussion. Uh, rather than non-traditional students outside of, you know, what we would consider the Western education system um, is to view the instructor more as an authoritative in manner, right? So they're the ones in charge. You don't debate them. So as course designers or instructors or, or people delivering programs, we often make the design assumption based on how we learn or study or we were trained. So it's important to recognize that in the online setting, the engagement Uh, from students in India or China or even parts of the Middle East, you know, they may not be participating, not because they don't want to participate, 
or is because of their traditional uh, view of their view of the instructor or the, the faculty. So they see them as more the authority. And when asked upon, they participate. So the challenge becomes in that online setting, how do you engage, you know, that those students when you put that question out, okay, uh, what are your thoughts? You know, a lot of people, you know, that open-ended question, hoping that people are going to jump on it. Well, in many of those cultures, they're not going to jump on it. They're going to sit silence and most of them are going to have their video off um, and, and not engage. So we have to develop and it takes a lot of work and it may not work for all circumstances, but having that personal opportunity to call on someone um, for a response uh, is more beneficial in that setting. And I think the also, we also have to recognize that as we go online, some of our students will be taking courses uh, in a Canadian uh, contents of learning who have never stepped foot outside of their country for learning. So this is all it goes back to our assumption. We assume all those students are just going to respond, but many of them are, you know, uh, in some cases, mature students who have only had a certain education system embedded in them um, in their, their types of learning. So it's, it's really going to be a challenge to ensure that the engagement comes from a more personal approach rather than, you know, put the question out and hope that, that people are going to respond. You know, as a as a teacher myself in a in a P to twelve system, I always recognize that never works because people want to just sit on their hands. They don't want to put their hands up. So that also comes to creating a safe space, right? I mean, you want to create a safe environment that people can be asked a question and respond. And if the answer is wrong or maybe it's not the response of the collective that it's still a safe space to to do so. So that is also an important factor when we talk about, you know, the cultural diversity. What are some of the ways we can confront our own assumptions about students in a multicultural population and strategies we can take to include all students, both domestic and international in our online courses discourse? I think, you know, I, I keep going back to that point, you know, don't be afraid to put down your assumptions. Don't be afraid that if you have assumptions that you don't acknowledge them, uh, one of the best things is to actually put them out. So, you know, one of the assumptions that people have, you know, seasoned educators have talked to me about was, well, students learn the same way, read, discuss, test out. Okay. So that's the assumption, but what are the consequences? Well, if we look in culture wise, like in India, uh, it is not acceptable to debate an idea with peers or an instructor. So this can result in what seems to be a lack of engagement in the online environment. So, you know, going back to, to that way to recognize, okay, well, the student's not engaging what's happening. They're not, they're not doing the readings They're they're, they're not grasping the topics. It's because for many years it was put, it was socially unacceptable to actually challenge an idea or debate with someone of a particular authority. And I think sometimes one um, faculty member that I worked with last year, it's all right to even talk about these assumptions that, you know, 
perhaps, and you don't even have to funnel it to one culture. You don't have to say, well, in India, I hear that it's, you don't like to debate the, the, the faculty member. Well, I'm here to tell you that's not the way it is here. It's to approach it because it may not, it, by addressing this assumption, you're also helping various other types of learners, right? Um, the person that may be just an introvert that does not want to be called upon. So recognizing those things. Um, the westernized education um, content is fine and acceptable tone and language imagery and, and slang. And I think about when we make reference to say a police officer, if you were to, you know, say we're going to talk about a police officer, but then I say to you, well, Google police officer in China, Google police officer in Cambodia, Google police officer in in uh, Vietnam and just use a wide range. If you do that as a practice just for yourself, you suddenly with imagery, you suddenly look at things very differently and say, well, the reason I view police officer when I hear that word this way is because of my experience. Yes, I see the police officers here locally, but I also remember being in Uganda and seeing a police officer and being very fearful of them asking me a question. So when we have a group of students and we're making references or we're showing imagery, it's also important to recognize that maybe that imagery or those words or, or that reference won't be applicable to all that it's all right to have a discussion saying, you know, uh, we're going to talk about it from this point of view, but what are, what are some of your thoughts and, and where you're from and, and, and start to engage. You're also building that personal connection. And I think we want to be really cautious of the words we use. Um, you know, we use a lot of slang. Um, I, I, I'm guilty of that myself. And I try when I'm interacting or doing a presentation with international, um, uh, diverse groups that I really watch the wording because the slang, you know, of course, many words have multiple meanings, uh, which can leave a student confused. But it's also all right if we do use those words or we make these mistakes in the, the classroom setting that we can recognize them and talk about them, that it's all right to have a, an opportunity for us to learn and have the students be part of what we're learning. And I think it's also important to think about the imagery that we use. You know, images we know uh, help with understanding, but what if it's an inappropriate image? So in the Middle East and India, women are expected to have arms and legs, you know, for the most part fully covered. So if I'm showing this imagery of, of opposite, it may lead to something, someone suddenly having an offense to, to what's being portrayed. And that shouldn't be looked upon as a as a negative thing, but just be cautious that if we are putting these images out there that, you know, they may have a, a different impact. You know, even when we think about online learning in, I think it was uh, data out of um, the University of Peace that said in 1978, they started doing some research on data on uh, online learning. And they found that, you know, by having online learning, there was a lot more barriers that were broken. They saw an increase in, in females uh, coming online into the education system. 
But one of the big things they they found was that parents were are a great influence of education in in Asia, in particular in India and and parts of Vietnam. They frequently questioned the value of online education and online learning, and if not addressed, parents may permit may not permit their students to participate their children to per- participate in online courses. So some of what we're hearing about the struggle of um, you know transferring to online learning, some of that comes from generational, where there's there's still a, a very strong. Um, argument in places like India that uh, the education is never can never be the same on an online setting. So, you know, there, there's many factors um, that we can consider with that class in front of us, you know, everything from and I don't want everybody to go through line by line or, you know, rewrite their syllabus. But just if you have the opportunity to get to know who your students are, And from that, reflect on your syllabus, reflect on your teaching style and see if there's ways in which it is all encompassing to meet the needs of all those students and also challenge them. Because sometimes there's a a thought process that we have to lower the standard. It's not the case. It's making things relevant. So rather than talking about something that may be only applicable to a local uh, content of the discussion, look at global examples. Um, not saying you have to take away that local one, but maybe you have a local, a national, an international, and have an opportunity to talk about it at each level. And ask the students if they are international, uh, you know, what would that look like in your hometown or your home community? And don't assume because you ask one student from that same country that the, the response is going to be the same because there's such diversity within that. So it's it's having the, the ability because at the same time, international students will tell me they want to learn the local content. They want to learn the Canadian content. So it, it's trying to balance all of those um, markers all together. So in your estimation, what are some very real challenges that the entire campus community uh, is going to be facing this year due to the COVID-19 pandemic, um, specifically in relation to cultural diversity as we all move online? Yeah, that's a good question. <laughs> I, you know, I think back um, when we talk about cultural competency, we look at, at a framework of learning um, the challenges you can can be overcome through increased awareness, uh, cultural sensitive sensitivity around communication, modified process and efforts to communicate the most critical cultural differences. And I think that as we move on online, I think ourselves, we are going to be challenged a lot first. I think this pandemic has shown us that we are so globally connected um, that something that impacts us in one part of the world truly does impact us in the other part. And I think that the challenges that we are all going to face, but I think it's it's truly um, adapting to a lot of unknowns. And I think it's important that as the instructor, 
or the faculty member has challenge, has the fee, the sense of challenge or the sense of um, unknown, I think it's important to recognize that the student in front of them is experiencing that as well. Uh, never have we seen such complex uh, in nature of life experiences, right? I mean, people are experiencing things that they've never experienced before, and that's going to come into the classroom. And some of the faculty are going to become sounding boards. So we have to ensure that those faculty and staff know that they don't have to burden what could be a lot of disclosure to the to those um, faculty members. So determine the, the demographics at the beginning of the course. Know what students are going to be in your class, who they are. Um, be conservative with your imagery without infringing on the academic part. So make it um, make it relevant, make it um, something that people are going to be engaged. Um, I think we're going to have to be more cautious of our terminology in this virtual setting. Um, try not to use, as we talked about, so much slang. Um, watch for cultural and linguistic biases. Engaging uh, the teaching and learning center. Ask a peer. You know, share good practices and set appropriate tone. Um, try not to be aggressive or loud over this learning uh, virtual world. And um, always ask for your students for input. I think that that's important. And, and I think with this virtual opportunity of learning, I think it's important to ask them. Don't be afraid to ask them for their input. Ask them if this is working. Um, ask them if this if there's something they need to change. Um, I think, you know, when we rely on uh, group work, that may be a bit of a challenge because with, you know, broadband uh, internet, you know, it's, it's hard for various groups to get together and have various discussions. So I think there's, there's going to be a lot of reevaluating, but I think one of the big things we, we need to stress is that this is the time to really reach out. I think if that's anything COVID-19 has taught us is the importance of checking in on each other, um, asking, you know, how is this working for you or is this working? What can we change? But I think, you know, ask for input in various ways. Scott, maybe you could just leave us with um, a summary or a very sort of clear outline as to how we should approach multicultural diversity in our online classes. You know, all these suggestions should help you start off your online classroom with a good foundation of recognition and appreciation of diversity. And some of these are easier than others to implement. And I want to make sure people understand that. So give yourself time uh, if you want to do a complete overhaul. It's about time. And this is going to take. Uh, remember, you are a model of tolerance and acceptance. So be keenly aware of your language and your tone. And I think finally, interact with your students. You can, in, you can be proud of that sense of CBU pride that we talk about with the getting to know our students. We can still do that online. Ask questions, uh, show interest in who they are and what they've done. Uh, the type of care goes a long way towards making students feel connected to you and comfortable 
showing that everyone in their classroom that makes them unique individuals. So I, I think the, the, the one thing is I want us to engage more in, in interaction and, and don't be afraid of this computer screen. This is just something in front of us, but we can still be the same individuals that we prided ourselves in um, a couple of weeks, a couple months ago. And, and I, I hope that this really changes our perception on diversity and um, use it as a tool, not as a weakness. Well, Scott, I want to thank you so much for uh, for sitting down and, and talking with us about this subject. This was excellent and, and I really enjoyed it. And, it, you know, it's something that is so passionate for me. And, you know, I would definitely enjoy um, having further discussions with you on, the, on these topics because there's just so much we could talk about. And thank you very much. Thank you. You've been listening to Beyond the Class, a podcast brought to you by the Center for Teaching and Learning at Cape Breton University. As always, I want to shout out my technical support buddies, Chris Jones and Herbie Sokolaskis. Special thanks to Terry McDonald and our entire CTL team, and also to Scott Thomas for his passion and dedication to the cause. If you're a researcher and applying for the Shirk Partnership Engage Grant, go to the Office of Research and Graduate Studies page on my CBU for the details, dates, and registration. We're going to start releasing episodes bi-weekly so we can all get caught up on the mountain of work ahead of us. So until next time, stay safe, and thanks for listening.